0: Now listening to Enter VR, the podcast where we talk about all things virtual reality. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and on today's show, I'm speaking with Brandon Jones. He is a software developer um, with the Chrome team at Google. Um, Brandon, I've seen you. Well, first of all, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. <laughs> Sweet. So I've um, I've heard of you a lot. Uh and I'm so glad to have you on the show by very reputable people like uh Josh Carpenter and Tony Parisi uh have been um talking really good stuff about you and your work. And I sort of want to just, you know, for the uninitiated, you know, what what have you been doing? What are you what are you sort of known for in, in terms of the VR space?
1: Well, in terms of VR, I've been working on implementation of the Web VR API in Google Chrome. It's currently available as experimental builds. I link to them through my blog, which make sure that you have the, the links later. Um, and yeah, for anybody who's not aware, WebVR is an API that was initially started by Vlad on the Mozilla team, um, and uh, just kind of an experimental thing that he was doing in his free time, and... Um, when he got it to a point where it was running, he started talking about it on Twitter, um, and I said, well, hey, that sounds really cool. I'd like to, to see the, the code, see what you've done there. Um, so he posted that up on GitHub. I took a look at what he'd done and said, oh, I could totally do this in Chrome. And so I spent, you know, some some nights and weekends putting together a Chrome implementation. Uh, We bounced some emails back and forth and, and, um, you know, smoothed off some of the really rough edges. And uh, then both put our our, uh, initial testing builds online within like a week of each other. Uh, And thus the beginnings of of a hopeful standard. Um, So it, it is a very experimental thing right now. It's not... An official web standard. Um, it's just something that, that we're pushing forward uh, through you know, on our own free time and, and, and trying to turn into something more. Uh, but we are hopeful it will, it will become something that you know, becomes part of, of the web at large and, and can go out to people as part of their uh, just their normal Chrome or Firefox or maybe eventually some of the other browsers uh, builds that they get. Uh, because we would really like it to be a ubiquitous technology.
0: You know, when you talked about standardization and, and we, you know the, the the hope that this would bear fruit to something that will become more standard, you know, what are you what are, what are you referring to? Are you are you refer are you referring to APIs that any developer could you know uh, grab and use, or is it at the user sort of level like? You know, any any sort of VR device can go into the web and get VR. Um,
1: so the hope is both, actually. Um, the the core idea behind the WebVR API is to abstract away um, the the various differences between uh, VR uh, hardware, not necessarily just the, the uh, head head mount displays either, but Um, you know, input devices and whatnot. And that's a a difficult thing because we really only have a few sampling points for what VR hardware looks like. We've got Oculus Rift, we've got uh, Sony Morpheus, we've got Google Cardboard, um, you know, a few few other variants that fall somewhere in between. Um, And so it's it's very difficult to do something that's extremely generalized when you only know what a couple of, of variants look like but we're hopeful that what we've got right now um, is generic enough that it can continue to adapt as new hardware enters the market. And since it is an experimental API right now, we're more than happy to change it as we see new hardware that goes against our, the expectations that we've already coded in. Um, the other side of that is standardization as a web API, uh, which is a somewhat long and arduous process um, but what what that means at its core is that if you pick up a browser uh, and browser, uh, you'll know that it has this capability built in without needing to say, oh, did I get the special uh, build off of Brandon's blog, and did I turn on the right flags, and do I have the you know the right um, special checkbox checked off somewhere in in browser. Um, you, you want it to be like WebGL is today, uh, which only really just barely got to that point with the introduction in I, uh, Internet Explorer and, and iOS 8, where pretty much any modern browser that you sit down with today can run WebGL content. It wasn't the case uh, just a couple of years back, and so you know we we envision it going through kind of a, a similar process where. We'll make it available as experimental builds. Hopefully, people build stuff with it. They like it. They give us feedback. And then, as we can test it with more hardware and, and get it on more machines and get more people playing around with the API, we can push it towards something that the browser enables by default and anybody can use. What do you
0: think? What do you think it's gonna take for it to get to that point? Um, I, I, I'm sure you and I read a little bit on your blog where where. We're, we're not there yet we're, we're you know and I think the expectation for more most consumers is something that you can you know put on and you're there you know without even thinking about it um how long how far away are we from that reality and, and again what, what do you think it's going to take for us to get there
1: yeah that's, that's a great question and the honest answer is I don't really know how far off we are um you know there i I've, I've heard a lot of numbers thrown around and VR space in general, five years tends to be a really popular one. I hear like, oh, five years from now we're going to have all the problems worked out and this is going to be completely ubiquitous. It's going to be like smartphones. And, you know, maybe that will happen. Maybe it won't. I personally feel like that might be just a little ambitious. Um, and VR is actually going to work at all. I mean, we're, we're in much better position than we were like back in the 90s hardware-wise and capability-wise, um, where we can actually you know, produce hardware that's relatively cheap, provides a pretty good experience, um, and you know, does does most of the things that people would expect from a VR headset. But there's still questions around, um, you know, right now you need a pretty beefy machine to run one of the Oculus headsets. Um, you know, that could be a good barrier to adoption. Uh, the other barriers to adoption are, in a lot of cases, just social, you know, how, how much can we expect the general populace to be willing to, you know, put these funny headsets on and and spend, you know, an hour or two in this VR space where they're kind of closed off from the people that are physically around them. Um, you know, it's, it's something that a lot of us enthusiasts are like, oh, yeah, sure, this is, this is fine. I, I'm more than happy to do this. But you also have to think about, you know, is this something that your parents would do? Is this something, you know, your siblings would, would be um, you know, more than comfortable to do? And, and it, it's very it's very dependent. And it's, it's going to depend on the form factor that we see the hard work come out in and the applications that are available and, um, you know, a whole bunch of other social pixie dust that intangible whether or not these things ever take off or not? Um, I personally am a believer in it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this project. <laughs> but you know, you have to be realistic to a certain degree and say there's a lot of things that might derail VR as a as a job at this point, and we just don't know. So first and foremost, we have to see the concept of VR really take root in society and become something that's not just Toys for geeks, mm-hmm. and um, once once we've once we've started along that road, then the ability, like web VR, get that into a browser it, uh, becomes much more realistic. Because what you have to consider here is there are maybe I I don't know what the numbers are, but there's you know some what 20,000 people that might have an Oculus VR headset right now, and there are somewhere in the general area of a billion people who use the Chrome browser right now in various different forms. I don't know the exact number. Um, but it's a lot. And so you, it's very, very difficult to justify putting behavior into the browser that benefits like 0.0001% of the population of the users. Um, and that's only if they actually happen to want to mix the web and VR, which isn't necessarily the most intuitive fix that, you know, most people want to do something like Unreal Engine or what. So we have to get to the point where there's enough hardware out there and there's enough interest out there that you could feasibly put it into the browser and it wouldn't be dead weight for, you know, the average user. There's, there's a chance that the average user is going to say, oh, yeah, I want to take advantage of this. And that... Be all uh, billion some users that you know that it just has to be a bigger percentage than we
0: thought now. Right, you know I, I was I was thinking about this. You know what you said earlier about how that there's there you, it's it, you kind of find it hard pressed to find someone who will go in there for an hour who will go and type br for an hour, and you know they're out there. I'm one of them. But you know at the same time they're. I feel like there there is a I think a need for VR to be a teleportation device that can go that can take you from one place to the other in seconds, and you don't have to be in that. Here's my example: tonight I will be co-organizing the San Francisco Virtual Reality Meetup, and at the same time, the Giants are playing the Kansas City Royals in the World Series Game Six. Um, and you know, it it'd be cool if I could if I could be at the event, at the SFVR event, and then every couple of seconds, instead of taking a bathroom break, I can put on a, a VR headset, a portable VR headset, and boom, I'm in the game. I'm watching the game really quick uh, from perhaps the umpire's perspective, and uh, there's an oh. HUD showing me like how the stats are going, and bam, I'm back. And I take it off, and bam, I'm back at SFVR. Like sort of being able to teleport in, in that sense in a live stream sort of way. It seems like. Uh, Seems like it would be a perfect fit for the casual sort of uh, sports watcher slash, you know, just regular consumer. You know, is that technology alien? Is that is that you know is that something that could be utilized, uh, or will we ever see happen something like that? Yeah. So
1: I, I think that you hit on a really great level with with the the baseball game, you know, sports. And personally, I am not really a sports guy. I've had a lot of fun <laughs> watching the Giants. Recently, but um, as a general rule, I'm not the kind of guy that sits down every Sunday and watches the game, you know. But um, there is a huge swath of the population uh, that love that, and you know, <clears throat> you, you can you can piggyback on the idea that you know these individuals very intuitively get that you know there's the experience of I'm watching it on TV and I'm watching the game on TV, and that's fun, and I've got my buddies around me, and, you know, we make a party out of it. And then there's a whole different feeling from sitting in the stands watching the game from one of those seats, especially if it's like a front-row seat, center court, you know, whatever that case may be. And, um, you know, that's not an experience that too many people uh, actually get right now. I mean, it's it's, you, you have to you know, jumps through some hoops to get to that point. And it's not accessible to everybody, whereas you know, maybe with VR that becomes an experience that everybody, uh, within reason, I mean, you still have to have the hardware, but uh, everybody can, um, you know, jump into. And Maybe it's not, you know, $100 a ticket. Maybe it's a buck ninety nine for the, the Comcast stream of it or something like that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that, that – Seems like a really good natural entry point for the average non-technical person to say, "Oh yeah, I totally understand why that would be cool." Um, and you know, maybe that is what what kicks it off for most people. Yeah. Could, um, go ahead. So, there's something I want to to leapfrog from there into is the I think that the web specifically. Is really well positioned for something like that. Um, so you think, about, you think about the experience with your smartphone today because it, there's some really good analogies here um, where I can say, okay, well, I wanna watch the game. Um, now, if I'm a Comcast subscriber, maybe I can go and download some Comcast-specific app and I, I wouldn't even have a clue which one that is. And uh, jump into there and, and hopefully bring up the game and maybe the, you know, maybe the app doesn't work with my particular model of phone or whatever, and that there's all this you know, back and forth, but you, you can't really sit down and say, "I want to watch this thing right now and I'm going to jump into it and, and just go. Um, the, the app model is not really good at that. And thus far, all of the pushes for VR have kind of been built around that app model or like more traditional PC distribution channels like Steam. Um, which, is, I mean, there, there's plenty of benefits to that, but it doesn't lend itself really well to quick consumption and to being able to just jump in and experience something. Whereas on the web, you know, I can pull up a, a, a website. And see what the score is immediately. I didn't have to download anything. Uh, Maybe there's a YouTube or something out there that that streams sports. Now I'm getting into areas I don't know anything about. (laughs) Uh, That that actually seems really unlikely. I I can't see that they would just stream sports games on the net. But the, the point still stands where I can type in a URL, go there, I didn't have to download anything, and I can start watching a video stream right away. Um, so when you're talking about VR now, which would you prefer for an experience like that? if you're if you're doing a AAA game or something like that, yeah sure go get it off of Steam and and you know download the multi-gigabytes of, of uh, resources because that's what's going to be the best experience. But if I want to watch something really quickly, what I really want is to be able to put on my headset and navigate to the VR YouTube and um, you know just hit stream and go, and so having VR on the web facilitates that kind of really casual use where the only thing you need is a URL and you can instantly be immersed in whatever experience that page is going to provide you. And that's a very, very powerful thing and that's, that's something that enables a lot of experiences that otherwise might have been overlooked because it wasn't a good fit for the distribution channels that are already in place. Uh, you know, nobody's going to publish a single VR video to Steam. Um, you know, it, it just wouldn't make any sense just economically. Um, but you can totally publish, you know, a video to a, a website and just direct people to it, and they can jump in and out, and you know, that's a very natural thing.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, sort of jumping off and leapfrogging. When you say when you say distribution, I'm already thinking about all right. Well, distribution sort of implies to me that somehow someone is making money or monetizing. And you know, this the web VR for as much potential as it has, I feel like. And this is a question that has been rattling in my mind for a while that I've been meaning to ask you, which is in my opinion I feel like the the state of web VR is in a is in a sort of a chicken and, a, and an egg chicken versus the eggs kind of problem because how do you incentivize developers to come out and develop for something that is that is so early and yet this thing that is so early needs developers to come out and develop for it because they sort of you know, they, they, they sort of need each other, right? The, the content needs the developer. The developer needs content to be able to say, well, this is a platform that I can uh, rely on. Um, so the sort of question is, is it an issue? Is it an issue getting more developers? And if there is, how do you incentivize developers to come along uh, and develop on, on web VR sort of uh, platforms? So that's a, that's a
1: really, really good question. And it's not something that's unique to... VR on the web—it's something that the web, as as a general you know entity, has been struggling with a little bit um, for a while now. You know, how do you monetize this content that's put um, on this 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 infrastructure that is designed at its very core to disseminate information? Um, you know, how how do you monetize that? And um, you know, I mean, obviously the, the big the big push for the web thus far has been centered around you know, ads and, and stuff like that. Um, so a little bit more background on me, to give context to this. Uh, what I do as part of my day job, you know, the, the VR stuff is, is one of my 20% projects. Yes, they do still exist at Google. Um, and what I, what I do beyond that is work on WebGL, the implementation of WebGL in the browser. Uh, Making sure it's robust and and fast and and has all the features that everybody wants. And from that perspective, as as, um, somebody behind WebGL, uh, it was kind of concerning to me for a while that you didn't see uh, a rush of developers to build WebGL games, because that was always what I approached it from, is this is going to be an awesome technology for games, Um, and that's not to say it hasn't happened, and that's not to say that people don't experiment with it. We've seen some really, really awesome tools come out from Unreal and Unity, that target um, WebGL. And these are things that will eventually lend themselves to VR as long as that catches on. Um, we've also seen, just in the last few weeks, we've seen the Mozilla Humble Bundle. If you
0: haven't um, seen that yet. Yeah, I saw it today. Really, really awesome
1: where there's a bunch of very high-quality games that you can you know, go on a website, pay whatever you want for them, and then just play them in your browser. In fact, you can play most of them in your browser without paying for it. They've all got demo versions. And it's a really cool experience. Just go to this website, click the button, and now I'm playing FTL. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're definitely seeing some of that kind of content come out. And like the Humble Bundle is a really unique way to monetize this kind of stuff. And I, I hear it's been doing pretty well. Um, but the thing that struck me about WebGL a couple of years down the line realized that most of the really innovative and really creative, powerful uses of it have not been games and have not been some of this traditional commercial content that you might think of. Um, using 3D hardware for. It's actually been of the more what you might consider to be mundane uses. Uh, Google Maps, you know, the the current Maps uh, uh, application in your browser is entirely WebGL, for most users anyways. I mean, there's some fallbacks, but the, the default experience is WebGL. And something that they really push in front of your face you can like go and see a 3D model of San Francisco and rotate around it and everything, but that's you know it's not the, the point of making it in WebGL is not to say yay look we're in 3D it's just because it provides a better experience it's smoother you can do more detail you can zoom in better um, there's been some really awesome content in terms of like uh, mathematical visualizations uh, one of my favorite uses of WebGL ever is um, on echo.net, there's how to, how to fold a Julia fractal. And
0: can you say that one more time? How to fold a the...
1: how to Julia fractal? I'll send. I'll make sure that you have the link available okay. to the podcast. But it's a really incredible um, site where the majority of it is just you know text, and you're reading through this basic description of how this mathematical model works throughout it are little slideshows. And the slideshows are actually interactive WebGL content. Huh. But they fit so naturally into the, into the midst of the page. They don't feel like you know, you've know got this perfect little box that's walled off from the rest of your content. Um, it feels like it fits in the page. It's interactive. It creates a wonderful visualization of the, the topics uh, at hand. And... So the user of the page doesn't have to think twice about it. I mean, they they probably don't even realize it's WebGL. I think a lot of people probably think it's Flash. Uh, But it's, it's a really great creative use for this technology that is about as far away from games as you possibly get. And I've consistently seen a lot of these things popping up where they're using it in context that you just kind of wouldn't think about 3D graphics being there, but it's useful. It's, it's something that accelerates that they can do more interesting visualizations. They can do uh, cool transitions They can just throw more content on the screen or display it in a, a new way that you couldn't before. And a lot of it is actually in, you know, in, in the context of another good example. Um, at a recent WebGL meetup, uh, we saw a company, and I wish I could remember their name off the top of my head, but they did uh, real estate visualisation. Hmm. So they would go through a house with a, a specialized camera that they built, which takes 360 images, and then they go and stitch it together into an actual 3D model of the home. And you can do kind of a street view step-by-step step through the house to see each of the panoramas that they have built. Or you can actually pull out and see the whole house floor plan in as a 3d model from up above and it's really this is something that you can look at and say this is legitimately a really cool uh you know business tool for real estate market i mean this is you, you as you're as you're doing the little walkthroughs you can say this is unquestionably a better way to show than the standard picture slideshow that we've all gotten used to. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's using this cool new web technology, um, but it's doing so in a way that's in service of a commercial need. And so, you know, it's monetization of the content, but it's content that lends itself to a business need. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I, I've been seeing a lot more of that in the WebGL space, and now looking around back to WebVR, I think that that's more of the type of content that you will see there. In fact, the, the real estate uh, content that I was talking about just now actually had a WebVR visualization that they had experimented with. You could put on uh, an Oculus Rift and, and look around the house, and it was a really, really powerful experience because it felt like you were standing in somebody else's kitchen. It was um so i think that when you're talking about monetization you know it it's very helpful to to think outside the box and think beyond just like games or you know maybe videos you know this this type of stuff um certainly there's there's plenty of services out there that are very successful charging for subscriptions for videos and i don't see any reason why that would change if Video is VR, so, you know, that I think is is a fairly natural business model, but, you know, thinking about, um, if I go on to Ikea, IKEA Ikea.com or something like that, and maybe I can lay out a virtual room with all of their furniture, if I go to Amazon.com, you know, maybe I can view an item in VR, so you know, well, yeah, that that shirt looks great on the webpage, but I want to see it on a virtual mannequin, and I want to be able to in and look at the stitching and, and make sure that the fits you know what I'm going to expect it to be. Um, and you know, you're not making money directly off of the VR content, but it's it's lending to the commercial purpose that it was built for. So I I see I see that being kind of the focus for a lot of the web stuff. Although I, I really do hope that it will be games because that's you know that that's kind of the interest that I
0: yeah, I'm with you. I I really do hope that there's some awesome games out there, but you know, just sticking a little longer with the whole business aspect of web VR. Let's say I'm a a, a company or a business owner and I'm looking at my options because I I know you know eventually business owners will realize that I can gain a competitive advantage if I utilize VR as a tool to expand slash and spread the word about my business and so when it comes to that though how do i know which is the right platform for me. And, you know, in in, in terms of shopping around for platforms, WebVR is one of them, um, Unity, inter- I can hire someone who has expertise with Unity and can make an app out of it. Um, it and so, you know, can you give me the advantages slash disadvantages of both uh, platforms, you know, not just from a business pr- perspective, but just sort of in general, you know? No, no, it's, it's a really
1: good question. It touches a little bit on some. On some of the advantages of the web that we talked about before, I think the big differentiating factor um, really, what? How do you hope and expect users to interact with your content? Um, Is it going to be something that they're going to come back to again and again? Um, Is it going to be, you know, really? I want to say large content. Uh, I don't know. I, is it going to be a very large download? Is, is it going to have a lot of upfront um, resources that you have to pull down in order to make the experience work, um, or is it going to be something that you expect people to jump in and out of? Uh, so once again, c- talking about like AAA games, I don't expect too many AAA game studios to try and you know cram their their content onto the web. Um, I'm sure some will try it, and I, I hope that some are, are very successful at it. But the fact is that we've already got great distribution channels for that. Uh, you're doing it through Steam, you're doing it through your game console, you're doing it through, you know, just buying a, a CD at the store. You know, people still do that, um, and and that's great for the type of content that, is, that that is, because most of those are designed so that I'm going to put in. A big. I'm gonna put in a big commitment of you know, download speed and everything or download bandwidth and everything up front and pull down the 20 gigs worth of content that you've got for me so that then I can immerse myself in that world um, you know like. Nobody's going to go to a web page and wait for Skyrim to load. Not going to happen. <laughs> uh, you know, hopefully we could like stream it if it's on the web, but um, it, it, it's just a different type of content. And and it's it's okay that you're putting that commitment into it up front, because you expect to go back and forth environment uh, many many times over the course of the next few weeks or so or however long you're going to be playing the game. Um, and so it's worth it. But if I want to watch a movie trailer and you tell me, okay, go to Steam and download, you know, this movie trailer watching app and then go into the app and then go, I'm going to give you the finger and move on to a better platform uh, because that's not what that's designed to do really well. Um Although that's a bad example, because Steam actually has a lot of trailers on it, <laughs> now that I think about it. they sent it through a web interface. Right. Uh, because it's it's not something that you're going to download. Because that's something you're going to watch once, yeah. and maybe watch again. Maybe you'll show it to a friend or something like that. And then you're going to move on. Mm-hmm. And you don't want it lingering on your disk. And you don't want you know to have to download a bunch of stuff up front for it. You want it to go in, start it right away, and move on. And so Those are the kind of experiences that I think make the differentiation Um, for when you're deciding how to build your content. Am I expecting this to be something that people go back to again and again, that they expect it to be really high fidelity and super high quality, or are they looking for an experience where they can get in, see what they're looking to see, and then maybe move on to something else? Uh, The web excels at that. And so it's it's a perfect platform for that kind of information. I would totally expect, like the Amazon example that I gave earlier, um, you don't want to have, I mean, maybe maybe Amazon's good enough, that they do want to have the Amazon VR app. But most people get to Amazon through a web page. And so you don't want to pop up an interstitial that says, to see this in VR, click here, go download the app, blah, blah, blah. It's much better to just say, to see this in VR, put your headset on.
0: And it's just there. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, it, it, there's definitely yeah. I think um, you know I I, I want to get your thoughts on in terms of so for a developer who wants to develop for the web, is there do you have to go in it with a different mentality then? Because uh, again, the web does sort of these transient, really quick experiences really really well, and so. Am I, as a developer, having to th- rethink my, you know, VR speed dating app that I've been thinking about, or should I, you know, again, you know, I want to get your thoughts on, uh, or should I just develop the coolest thing that I can think of because eventually the technology will catch up and it'll just be able to live there. What do you think?
1: There's, there's some truth to both of those. Um, I think that the experiences that you see on any platform, regardless of whether the web or the PC or a game console or your phone or anything like that, um, they all tend to be ones that are designed explicitly for the platform that that you're working with. And we see this a lot with mobile with mobile games right now. There are a lot of people who you know will go out and say, oh well we're going to you know take Doom and put it on your phone. And you know, there's, there's a certain inherent coolness to that. I mean, it's it's a fun little thing to just be able to say, hey, look, I've got this game that I loved as a kid. It's in my pocket. I can pull it out. I can run around. I can shoot some games and then move on. Um, but most of that, like, you know, builds off of nostalgia and, and familiarity with the, the property and stuff like that. The games that do really well on mobile are the Angry Birds and the cut the rope stuff like that, that were designed specifically for the form factor, specifically for the input mechanism. They were designed completely and fully around the idea that you're playing this on a phone. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that the web is very much the same way. You can totally take an experience that you designed for the PC or a console or a mobile device. Mobile games actually work pretty well on the web in general. And you can port that to the web. You can do the script and build and you can throw it up online and, and it works and it's fun to play around with. And there's there's once again that certain inherent coolness to be able to say, Hey, look Unreal Engine on the web. This is awesome. But the experiences that are going to be the most compelling are going to be the ones where you sat down and you said, I'm going to make an awesome web page, not you know, just Awesome content, but I'm going to cram into every different cramming, but I find that we will, will fake it. Uh, going back to the, the Aqua.net example with the, the Julia fractals, that is absolutely potentially a web page. You know, it wouldn't really work in any other medium, and it's a powerful experience because of that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that you really do have to take into account your target platform and say, you know, there's there's limitations here and there's opportunities here. And um, you know, taking all those into account, how can I build the best experience possible for the web? Or, you know, and, and if I can't build the best experience possible for what I want to do with, with limitations of the web, maybe it is better as a native application. Um, but I, I think that there's definitely room for both.
0: So speaking of limits and limitations, I, you know, I, I want to get your thoughts on input, and input is something that has is getting talked about it's just about every meetup, every gathering of virtual reality enthusiasts. It, the, the subject of input always gets brought up because it's so important, and you know, for me, that it I, I want to see. My thought is. At this point, it feels like everybody's aiming to be able to nail the holy grail of input—that the one ring to rule them all, sort the of device. And you know, I wonder—you know, just hearing you speak, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe we don't need to look for that one ring to rule them all, sort the of device. Maybe we could have a, a, a device, an input device that is specialized for the web, one that is specialized for gaming on Morpheus, and one that is specialized for. VR training simulations for, you know, pilots in the Air Force. Again, you know, what do you think it'll come down to? Will it? Will we see the one ring to the of them all, or will it just be an ecosystem of different peripherals? So,
1: um, that's, that's a great question. I think you're going to see a bit of both. Um, I think that VR will eventually find its variation of the mouse. You know, some, some input mechanism that just becomes completely ubiquitous and it's like, you know, everybody looks at it afterwards and goes, well, obviously this is how you interact with VR. I think it will happen. Um, and I have no idea what that's going to look like. I mean, everybody, everybody, you know, is focusing very much on you know input with your hands right now. You've got Leap Motion, you've got uh, Control VR, you've got... Uh, Several others. Uh, Morpheus has the, the play controllers, and that, that's actually an interesting. I had a I had an opportunity to use uh, Morpheus a little while back, and you know the the proxies that they have for your hands in, in the world are very crude. You know, you you have hands, and you can use the triggers on the the, the little lollipop controllers, mm-hmm. and your hands open and shut, and that's about it. And and they they track positionally. Mm-hmm. But even that really, really pre-representation of your hands in the world makes you feel so much more connected to it. And so I think that, you know, that's probably going to be generally the direction that we all move in. Um, But at the same time, you know, while I do think we will end up with a de facto VR controller, um, there's also something to be said for nobody would hook a mouse up to a smartphone. It feels weird. <laughs> uh, and, and part of that is simply because like, you rarely want to be using a smartphone in an environment where the mouse would make sense. You know, if I'm sitting at a desk trying to do work like that, I don't want to be on my smartphone. I want to be on my computer. And so um, you know, you're going to have different in- input mechanisms based on the context that you're in, and the, the work that you're trying to do, um, you know, if I, if I'm in, you know, building a, a VR, um, application that is I'm trying to think of what a good example would be, if, if I'm building a VR, uh, application that is focused on, you know, um, eye movement, like I'm, I'm trying to maybe correct lazy eye or something like that. Um, my hands don't make any sense in this context, you know, I mean, may, maybe for hitting menu items or whatnot, but, you know, that, that's going to be, my, my main input stimulus is going to be which direction am I, am I looking. Whereas if I'm building a VR experience around tennis, then yes, my hands make a lot of sense. And if I'm building a VR experience around playing soccer, then maybe I want something where I can like, actually kick at the ball. Um... And all of these are going to be different, and trying to build a single device that handles all of them, you could certainly do it, but then what you end up with is the VR cave in your house where you go in and you strap in all of your harnesses and controllers and things like that, and you play games looking like Ridley from Aliens in your, your giant exoskeleton. And we can do it. We have the tech to be able to do this. Um, it's it's not clear that anybody really wants to to um, you know put that so but but for certain experiences like if you put that in a theme park and then you know charge people three bucks to go in and strap into the exoskeleton and play for fifteen minutes that would be awesome yeah. people would totally go for that because they don't have to build it in their house so um, you know once again it, it's going to I think you're going to find that there are some input mechanisms that we normalize on, but you're still going to have a variance of them based on the experience that you're trying to have. Um, you know, am I on a bus and I just wanna you know, throw that on and, and you know, have some quick experience? I don't want you know anything that involves me doing this to my neighbors. Um, but if I'm at home and I'm just playing games, sure, I'd probably wanna be able to do this
0: definitely I want to get your thoughts on uh, the most pressing te- technical challenges for web VR at this point and uh, you know I think one of them is is latency um, and, and I wonder you know what do you think is I mean it is is latency a, a problem of, of just you know getting getting down to the root of the problem in terms of software or is it something that you know the us doesn't have the infinite internet infrastructure to be able to 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 sustain. You know, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, so definitely latency is a big technical problem for web VR specifically. Um, although it does tend to be something that the, the native world is struggling with a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's not many games out there right now, or not not too many applications. That are managing to produce a perfectly smooth, really great VR experience on everybody's machine across the board. Yeah. You know, there's still some some really deep-rooted technical challenges that we're working our way through there, and they can all be overcome. And it's just going to take some you know some innovation on, on the part of Oculus and and the content developers and and you know anybody else who's, who's jumping into this break. Um, but yeah on on the web specifically we have more of a latency problem than most because the web browser simply isn't designed around displaying this kind of content at least not right now maybe that will change as we continue to push up in these directions but you know displaying VR content is very very or even just WebGL content is very very different than displaying a page of text with some images and maybe videos which is what most of the web tends to surprise. Mm-hmm. Be uh, advised of, and so you know we, we have to kind of uh, build some new pipelines and, and pathways in, in the browser to accommodate uh, content where what we really do care about is low latency and uh, quick input and smooth display, more than necessarily um, you know better scrolling behavior, which is what a lot of things are optimized for right now. Um, this isn't this is a difficult challenge because you're you're kind of pushing back against the years to make the standard web content work really, really well. But it's not an impossible one. It's just going to take some time and some experimentation. And we will get there. And, and there's already been some big strides. <clears throat> I mean, even just in the last week or so, I've been experimenting with time work in um Web VR content, and it makes it Massive difference, hmm. um, and I've heard that it's not consistent across everybody's machines. Some people would say that it doesn't really make a difference for them, but you know, on the, the systems that I tested it on, um, it gets the latency down to the point, or the apparent latency. That's that's an important distinction to make. The apparent latency down to the point. Where it no longer becomes your focus, you're not moving your head around, going, "Oh man, look at how bad this latency is." Uh, you start to focus a little bit more on the content, which is great, uh, and that's not going to be the only thing that we do to try and make the latency better. We need to get actual latency down as well to, to produce the smoothest experiences. Uh, but it's a it's a big step in the right direction, and so you know, the, there, there's some there's some very significant technical challenges here, but uh, we can't work through them. It's just a matter of, of convincing the browser that uh, text isn't the only thing that matters
0: anymore. I wanted to ask you. So the, the next question that I've been thinking about is, you know, and I was going to get here, and I completely understand if you can't answer these, this question. But you know, <laughs> you know, I'm about to ask about Google. The, so it's it's. Um, I I want to know what your thoughts are. On what does a company like Google stand to gain from utilizing WebVR um, or web, even WebGL? Like, what what do they stand stand to gain from utilizing this technology? And you know, has it been hard selling it to the higher ups? Has, has it been, you know, how do you sell how do you sell it to the higher ups? Like, you know, this this technology.
1: So, I, I mean, I I think I can answer this question pretty well. Um, in terms of what what is there to gain, the classic example, or the classic answer for this is, you know, Google is a company that lives and breathes on the net. You know, we're, We've got a huge handful in the mobile space right now, but, you know, Google.com is still kind of the, the internet homepage for an awful lot of people. And there's a certain truth to the saying that the more time you spend on the web and, and the more time you spend in interacting with that the better off Google is because, you know, that's an environment where uh, we we help connect people with content. If there's, web, if there's really compelling web WebVR content out there, then, you know, our job is to make sure that you can get to it, right? I mean, that's, that's what a search engine is for. Mm-hmm. And so the, the better the web is, the more compelling the web is, the more time people want to spend on the, the web, and kind of by default, the more time people spend with Google. So, you know, that's, that's a really high level basic uh, motivation for it. Um, the, the other thing is, you know, you can get an awful lot of stuff that Google does and say, well, you know, what's, what's the benefit to Google for cardboard?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's cool, you know? I mean, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a certain amount of stuff that goes on in the company that happens just because it's really awesome. Um, and <laughs> you know, uh, and and it's a lot of it is because you know the company is very much driven by individuals doing awesome stuff. You know, it, there's no mandate from on high to say you will build web VR. Um, there's definitely a sense of you know me saying I want to build web VR, and nobody has yet stopped me. Uh, you know, um, there, there's it's, it's a very different dynamic than you, you typically expect from, you know, a, a more corporate uh, structure. But yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily, it, there's definitely benefits that you can receive down the road for it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is immediately com- commercially beneficial for Google. It's just something that... It's cool. It has the potential to make the
0: web better. So why not? Definitely, as long I, yeah. as
1: someone's willing to put
0: time into it. I like your style. It, so it's it, broadly speaking, how, how, in your opinion, how invested do you think Google is in virtual reality? And and are you personally working on a Boston Dynamics robot that has uh, telepresence uh, capabilities <laughs> using Google Cardboard?
1: Um, I, I cannot confirm or, nor deny the VR bot. <laughs> but, uh, Confirmed. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So, I mean, as as a company, uh, it's it's actually really great um, because it's it's a big company, and you know there there are obviously people here like the Fire team who are, are interested in it. And I've I've talked with them, um, but I don't. I you know, there's there's no company mandate that I'm I'm, I'm aware of. It's just. It's it's a cool technology and people are playing around with it and certainly if it's something that does catch on, nobody wants to be, you know, the, the odd one out who who dismissed the technology entirely um, and, and then is running to catch up, but it's it's really just kind of um, being driven by a bunch of motivated individuals right now. And whether or not that eventually means something bigger to the company at large, so I don't know.
0: Let me ask you about your personal motivations to, you know, just WebGL, WebVR, and, and just virtu- virtual reality in general. Like, what motivates you to keep developing this? What motivates you to, uh, you know, to just put, keep pushing this forward?
1: So, the, the, the really basic answer I can give is um, I went online the day that the DK2 was announced. And I bought one, and I sat back and said, okay, I just spent $350 on a piece of hardware. Better do something to justify that. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, more, more seriously, um, it's it, this has always been a passion of mine. Um, you know, uh, gaming has always been something that um, I, I've enjoyed very much. I've always been in, interested in the craft of uh, making like game content and stuff like that and that feeds very naturally into um you know working on 3d and working on rendering um which in and of itself beyond games then became a subject of fascination for me (laughs) you know this is the dreams and passions of a 14 year old kid that are surfacing you know 15 years later um, in in an environment where I'm actually enabled to do something about it, and so
0: yeah, I mean, really. Hello, interview our listeners. This is Chris Miranda, and it is up to this point in the conversation where Brandon Jones broke my podcast. I've never had this before, um, but the file continues, and every time it um, every time I try to load it up, it shuts down my computer. Everything locks up and I don't know what to do. This is uh, extremely unfortunate, but sort of where we left off was there's five minutes left of the conversation and we just sort of talked about, um, you know, just to finish the sentence that you just heard, Brendan was just, you know, it's just the coolest thing that you can be involved in, meaning VR. And later on we just talk about uh, what video games he likes and you know his power level is just too strong for my podcast and my computer and I will definitely have him on the show next time in the future. I will uh, make sure to have a computer that can withstand his power, um, his magnanimity. And I really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, keep in touch with Brandon. Uh, I will post the uh, links in the show notes uh, at TojiCode.com, I believe, and Tojiro on, on Twitter. Uh, all that all that information will be in the show notes. Uh, once again, I, I just want to thank Brandon. Um, from the bottom of my heart, uh, he's an awesome human being and a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. And I'd like to thank you for listening to the show. Uh, as always, uh, you know, I am nothing without you. Um, So thank you and have a great day being a human being in the 21st century.